in case you didn't know, I am now a, because you may not know me either, but I am now a grandpa. Can you believe it? Woo! <clears throat> it's been a, a fun week. That means that my wife is a grandma, so she's been playing grandma all week and uh, getting into the routine of it. And you know one of the cool things about being a grandma and a grandpa? It doesn't take lessons. Like you just fall right into it, you know. You want to see some pictures. Uh, you go back to, you know, you know how to hold the baby. You know how to get it to stop crying. You can answer all the questions that the kids have. Like being grandparents, you don't need training for it. You just do it. It comes naturally, right? And I was thinking this week, as we're last week we talked about relationships within the family. And we talked about how important those relationships are and, and what is important about, in particular, PCBC and relationships here. This week we're talking about relationships with people, not just who don't go to PCBC, but maybe don't even know anything about God. Maybe don't even care about God. Maybe you've never given it a thought. And, and how we do those relationships. And I was thinking, you know, it took me a couple of weeks to prepare for getting to be a grandpa in my mind. But it didn't take any training. I didn't read any books. Like, it just happened. And as I was thinking about this idea of relationships with unsaved people as well, I thought, you know what? The New Testament church, I don't think they probably had seminars. I don't think they sold books or conferences or any of that. They just went out and they did it. It just came naturally as a part of their relationship with God and all that he had done, they just did it. And so this morning, I thought, you know, I, I think what I'd like to do is to spend some time talking about not so much evangelism, because there's a lot of stuff out there, but to talk about kind of pre-evangelism. Like, what needs to be true about your life and my life before I even talk to somebody about Jesus? And so we're going to take our Bibles and go to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. But before we go into it, I, there's got to be a little bit of background, okay? Because 1 Thessalonians 2, obviously, we're jumping into the middle of a, a book that's written to the church at Thessalonica, and um, there's, some, there's some story that you got to hear, okay? So if you want to go read more of the story, we're going to read a little bit, but if you want to read more of the story, Acts 16 and 17 is where that's found. In Acts chapter 16, the story that probably most of you guys are familiar with, even if you guys have been to Sunday school for a little bit, like, you're probably familiar with the story of the Philippian jailer, right? Remember that? Paul and Silas are in prison, and uh, there's an earthquake in the middle of the night. And the jailer wakes up, and he thinks, oh, no, I've lost everybody. He's ready to commit suicide because he knows if he loses everybody, he's going to be killed anyway. So you might as well kill yourself instead of being killed by somebody else. But Paul says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're all still here. And he looks around, and... Because of the fact that Paul didn't just run off and leave, that jailer and his whole house got saved. And so they cleaned up the prisoners. They gave them a meal. They did end up having to spend the night still in prison. But the next day, he says, you know what? I got permission to send you off. And Paul says, whoa, wait a minute. I'm just not going. You put me in prison, and I'm a Roman citizen. Uh-oh. We've done the wrong thing. So they went back, had a little bit of a chat, and and. This, the leadership said, yep, we're still going to let this guy go. We're going to tell him he needs to go. But he has to leave Philippi. He can't stay in Philippi. So he gets kicked out of Philippi. 
And that's where Acts chapter 17 picks up. And we're just going to read real quickly, just so you can get the, the context here. Chapter 17, Acts, verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they couldn't find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let him go. And the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And they, when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. And guess what they did? They did the same thing. They kept preaching the message of the gospel. So what I want you to get out of that context is, came out of Philippi, the middle of a lot of struggling there was, was kind of ushered through a couple of cities into Thessalonica. In Thessalonica, he didn't spend a lot of time there. Three Sabbaths. And then what happened? Same thing as Philippi. Cities in an uproar. They got a mob that wants to kill him. And they rescue Paul and Silas and they send them out in the middle of the night so they can't get him. And they move on. And so... Paul didn't have this real long relationship with the church at Thessalonica, but he did have a little bit of context for what we are going to see here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. For you, brother, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Now, Paul is going to spend some time here defending his ministry because what was happening at this particular time is there were some people who came into this church and said, hey, Paul doesn't really care about you. He was only here for a couple of weeks. He taught you a few random things, and then he ran off and left you. All he was here for was himself. All he cared about was his pocket. And so Paul's going to spend a lot of time going back and saying, hey, remember, Remember what you saw. You saw this. You witnessed this. You testified to this. All the things that he's going to mention, he says, you were eyewitnesses. And so this first thing he says, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. The word vain there, most of us know uh, from the book of Ecclesiastes, means what? Empty. Like chasing after the wind. And Paul is saying, hey, our coming to you was not empty. Some of your, uh, if you've got an ESV study Bible, it says empty of results or empty of substance and character. And a lot of people disagree about that. Is it substance or is it character? Both, yeah, who cares? Like it's not empty of either one of those things, right? And, and so here's what Paul says here. My coming to you 
was not purposeless. It wasn't a random, hey, let's find out where I want to go for retirement. I'll go to Thessalonica. Maybe that's a good place to retire. It wasn't looking for work. There was a purpose. And not only was there a purpose, but there were results from that purpose. Paul says, I want you to go back and think about this. You know this, guys. Our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, there's the background. You know that story now. As you know, brother, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God. In the midst of much conflict, all of us want more boldness in our witness, don't we? Like number one thing that we pray for is boldness. I want you to know, first of all, you're not alone. You think back, and if you know your Bible, you think back to the things that Paul said to the various churches, and over and over he said, hey, pray for me in my boldness. Pray that I might speak as I ought to. Pray that I take advantage of the opportunities God gives. Like Paul kept asking those churches that he was writing to, saying, I'm not there yet either. But what he does say here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is, your boldness does not have to be in your personality. I'm not the most outgoing person in the world. Those of you who know me well, like I'm, I'm way better than I used to be, all right? I got a good wife as a good teacher, but I'm not the most outgoing person in the world. I'd rather be in my garage working on wood or fingers or whatever it is. <laughs> that, like that's my comfort place, right? Not necessarily talking to people, but I, should, I don't have to be confident in my personality, I don't have to be confident in my knowledge of evangelism explosion. My boldness is not in my ability to communicate words. My boldness ought to be the same as Paul's. What does he say? We had boldness in our God. Paul knew that if I'm just faithful, if I'm just obedient, all I got to do is what he asks me to do, and I am confident that God will do his part. My boldness is in him, not in me. And I think so often we get worked up, and man, I don't have enough confidence in myself. I don't have confidence in my ability. I don't have confidence in my personality. We don't have to have confidence in that. We need to have confidence in our God. He says, I had, we had boldness, and he's speaking Paul and Silas and the rest of the ministry team. We had boldness to declare to you the gospel of God. In the midst of much conflict. I, I know we're aware of some conflicts in our world at the moment, right? Maryland's aware of some conflicts going on in Senegal. And often, like, that's the biggest conflict that we're aware of is, is the political conflicts at the moment. Or maybe we're aware of the conflicts about how COVID was handled or politics or what, like... We're aware of a lot of conflicts around us, but can I remind us that we're in the midst of a spiritual conflict? Even though Paul was speaking of, hey, I got kicked out of town, and I was arrested, and I was put in prison, and all this stuff. Like, he was aware that there was a spiritual battle going on. Mark uh, Clancy, next Sunday, during the workshop hour, which is during this hour, so I'm not trying to take you out of this hour and get you over there, but... But he's going to be addressing 
How do you get ready for spiritual warfare? Now, Mark's been pretty high up military, so he's going to use some of his military experience to help us to be able to understand some correlations between, like, you can't just rock up to the battle in your pajamas, right? It doesn't go very well if you end up doing that. But sometimes as, as believers, we wake up in the morning and we don't prepare at all for spiritual battle. And then God brings an opportunity for us and we miss it because we are not ready. He says, in the midst of conflict, I have boldness in my God to declare the gospel of God in the midst of that setting. Then in verse 3, uh, from verses 3 to like verse 6, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is our witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we did not. Paul says here, the relationship that he had with those people at Thessalonica, and again, he's asking them to remember when he first came to them. He said, look, it was an authentic relationship. I wasn't trying to manipulate you. I wasn't trying to be greedy. I wasn't trying to use flattery words. I was just being myself, presenting the gospel to you. And one of the things that we need to remember is like a relationship with an unsaved person has got to be authentic. And that's tough sometimes, right? Because sometimes we feel like, man, if I, could just, if I could just pretend for a little while that I'm not really after something and then quick sneak in the gospel, It'd be better. And I don't think that's how Paul rolled. Do you? Like, I think Paul, as he came in, he made it very clear, here's what I'm about, but he also made it very clear that I'm going to be there all the way along. And this relationship that he had with those people at Thessalonica was a relationship where he was authentic. He was himself. And they could look at it again. He says, I want, I want you to think back. I want you to remember in your minds what it was like. You know as well as I do, my relationship with you was one of honesty and one of integrity. Go back to verse 4. It says, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And this is one of the things that I, I want us to, I have a hard time remembering. But I, I want us to try and think through this just a little bit. The word entrusted is the idea of a steward, of a steward. Now, what's a steward? It's a manager of someone else's property, right? The best example that I know of is in Scripture is, is Joseph. Joseph was put in charge, ultimately, of all of the kingdom of Egypt underneath Pharaoh. But like when he first came into it, all right, he was just under Potiphar. Potiphar was pretty high up, though. Potiphar said, all that I've got, you're going to manage my house. You're going to manage everything. Imagine one day Potiphar comes home and Joseph's lying next to the pool, got his lemonade, sipping on the lemonade. He's got three Mercedes that are his in the yard. And, and Potiphar comes in and he goes, what are you doing? Like, why isn't the laundry done? 
Why, is all, why are all the bushes like way overgrown? I didn't know I was supposed to do that. I thought you were just entrusting me with all of your stuff. Like, no, you are a steward. You are a manager of my stuff. That same idea ought to be true of us and the message of the gospel. Like so often I think, you know, the gospel is for me and it's mine. And I'm not saying that it's not. But he says here, I was entrusted. I was given stewardship of this message of the gospel. And I need to make sure that I pass it along to others. When God blesses me, he doesn't just bless me to bless me. He blesses me so that I can bless others. And so this message of the good news of Jesus is meant to be passed on to others. And Paul said, I want you to know I did a good job of doing that. I was entrusted with the gospel, so to speak. So I don't walk around sharing the gospel to please others. I walk around sharing the gospel to please the God whose gospel this is. So Paul uses that illustration. He's going to use a couple more. Okay, and I want you, before we jump into the next couple of illustrations, I want you to think about Paul. What do you know about Paul? Paul's a pretty tough dude, right? From what we know about Paul, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he, uh, he starved to death a couple of times, you know. Paul had an infirmity that he dealt with all of his life. I don't think he was real good looking from what we know about the Bible. Like, there's a lot of stuff about Paul that is very masculine. Now, there's a reason I'm setting this up, okay? Because you think about this kind of guy, and then Paul goes into verse 7, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. That doesn't sound like a real tough dude, does it? But, all right, so I'm a grandpa, okay? So I'm going to use these illustrations, and I see my daughter didn't come this morning because I told her I was going to use them, and... She stayed home, both services. Nah, she's online. Uh Uh-oh. Hi, Chrissy. Sorry. (laughs) Um, Watching my daughter with this newborn baby, you know, just a week old. And like, I don't know if you guys remember this, whether you're a kid and you were with your mom or whether you're a mom, but that first week is an exhausting week. There's so many things that this little baby needs. And you realize, like, that baby is totally dependent upon me. It can't do a thing for itself. The problem is, like, you don't get to take a break, do you? It's 24 hours it's dependent on you. And sometimes you just get so exhausted, you think, I don't have any more to give. And what happens? It cries and you just keep giving, right? And sometimes you just feel like, man, I am running on empty but you know, most of the time, yell at the little baby. Say, come on, what are you doing? Like, I remember my mind sometimes thinking that. But you don't do that. You go and you pick up the baby. And, oh, it's so cute. But not when you're crying. Can we please stop? And you're gentle with it, right? Paul, that's the illustration Paul is using here. He's saying, you know, when we came to you, we were gentle among you. like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Paul, in this context, again, he's going to the synagogue. What do you do at the synagogue? You study the Bible, right? That's what you do in synagogue. You study the Bible. I'm sure 
because Paul knew his Bible well, he went into the synagogue and he used their Bible and said, this is Jesus, this is the Messiah, this is the one we've been looking for, took their Bible and explained it to them. And you know what they did? We read in Acts chapter 17, guess who did not believe? The Jewish people did not believe. He was using their Bible, and they didn't get it. And I'm sure he could have said, come on, guys, what are you doing? But he was gentle among them. He was patient. He was sacrificial in his love. Verse 8. It says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. He was sacrificial in his love. Again, mom doesn't give the baby milk two times during the day and say, forget it, the rest of it's yours. yours. You're on your own. I've done enough. Like over and over and over. Change the diapers. Feed the baby. Put the baby to sleep. Change the diapers. Feed the baby. Someone said, how does it go? Put it in one end and scrape it out of the other. I don't know. <laughs> it seems like that's all you do, right? But you keep doing it because you love that baby. This term here, affectionately desirous. <clears throat> this is a, a word that's not used very often. But the place that they have found it the most is an inscription on the tombs of, of little kids who have died. And it's a, ter it's a term that, that is used of the parents who are affectionately desirous of this kid that it might come back because they've lost this child. That's the kind of compassion that Paul had because he gave sacrificially not just of the gospel, but his life as well. And in our relationships with unsaved people, sometimes it's going to be exhausting. Sometimes it's going to feel like you've got no more room to give anything to anybody. And God places you in relationship. Paul says, I continue to sacrificially give. I gave not only the gospel, but my life as well. And as we give our lives to people, what does that result in? It doesn't result in a guilt of, oh man, I haven't, I haven't talked to my neighbor in four weeks. I better give him a call because if I don't, the pastor is going to ask me if I talk to him. No, it becomes this relationship whereas we invest in them and we give our lives to them. We say, man, I miss hearing from that person. I miss being involved in that relationship. I miss being able to share life with them because the ultimate goal is by doing relationship with them, I will have the opportunity in the context of relationship to share who God is with them. Verse 9. Again, for your remembers, brothers. Right? He's asking them to go back. You guys remember. Our labor and our toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. 
For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He uses this third kind of analogy of a father. Moms are tender. Fathers, sometimes not so much, right? But what do we do, dads, well? Usually we are great encouragers. We are great exhorters. We're saying, come on, let's do it. You can do this. We point them in a direction and it's not for just information's sake, is it? Like we like to communicate information. Here's how you take a wrench and take off a spark plug and cut a piece of wood. Like all that kind of stuff. Or even, here's how you read the Bible. Here's how you have devotions every day. But it's not just so that our kids can store information up here. Right? They go, oh, yeah, good chat, Dad. Like it's so that they learn how to change what they're doing. And it makes a difference in the way that they live. And Paul says, look... I worked hard, and I exhorted, and I encouraged, and I charged each one of you to do what? To know more information? No, to take what you know and to walk in a manner worthy of God. The message of the gospel is not just about information. It's about a changed life. And Paul says here, like we got to be sometimes willing to ask the hard questions here's the problem pretty tough to ask the hard questions if your life doesn't line up with whatever it is that you're asking them to do Paul says here you saw my example you saw my hard work you saw how I labored you saw how I encouraged you saw it all so as I asked you to do this to walk in a manner worthy of God to change the direction of where you were headed it was consistent with who I was. And you know, sometimes I know we use it as an excuse. Well, I can't talk to people about God because I'm doing this over here. So you got a choice. You can either not talk to people about God and keep doing this over here, or guess what the other option is? Stop doing this over here and start talking to people about God. Like we have a choice to make. And that choice is going to determine how much we feel free to share the good news of Jesus. Paul says, here as a father, I exhorted and I encouraged and I charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God. I took responsibility because I knew this one thing. It's not about me. He says at the end there, who calls you into his kingdom and into his glory. This ultimately is not about us. It's not about people thinking good about me. Oh, isn't Lauren a nice person? It's not about people thinking good about this kingdom here at Puyallup Community Baptist Church. Isn't this a great church? Who cares? Like we do want them to care about PCBC. We do want them to care about who we are, but for what purpose? It's about His kingdom. It's about His glory. And as we share this message of the good news... Ultimately, it's trying to get people to understand this is about Him. So as we look at these, these six different things that are evident in Paul's life, here's what I want you to get as well. I don't want you to leave this place going, okay, I've got I to be more bold. I've got to be more sacrificial in my love. 
I've got to be more gentle. Like, that's, that's not what I'm getting at this morning. Here's what I'm getting at. Where do all those things come from? Who do they point to? Like, that's your God, isn't it? That's who he is. And as you get to know your God, that becomes a part of who you are. And Paul went out as a missionary. He, he left Philippi after he was mistreated and put in prison. He left there and he didn't give up. He went to Thessalonica where the same thing happened. And he left Thessalonica and he continued on his missionary journey where the same things happened. And he didn't give up. Why? It's like being a grandma and grandpa. You don't give up because somebody doesn't want to see your pictures once. You know? They keep showing people pictures. You keep talking about your grandkids. Like that's what you do as a grandma and grandpa. And that's what you do as a follower of Jesus. As you get to know God and you recognize, man, God's not ashamed of who he is. God's not harsh with everybody. God isn't willing to to like give a little bit and then say the rest is yours. You've got to take care of it yourself. He's sacrificial in his love. He is what we need. And these things were in Paul's life, not because he took a seminar, not because he read a book, not because, you know, his pastor said he should and he felt guilty. Paul was, uh, like this was part of his character because Paul knew God. And that was just how Paul conducted himself. So as we think about this in relationship to us, I want us to leave here saying, okay, I know these things need to be in my life. I know these things are really important, but I'm not going to get better at this by studying this. I will get better at this by studying Him. And I want you to commit to spending time with your God not just reading through the Bible. I know I've talked with a few of us, you know, who are doing the, the walk through the Bible in a year, or you got a little Bible program at the moment. I'm doing 30 days with Jesus, and you read different passages. And sometimes it's so easy just to think, I read my thing for the day. But what are you learning about God? It's not about you and your little thought for the day and a little token to get you through your day. It's about learning about Him. So I want to encourage you to spend time with Him. Spend time getting to know Him. And I want you to know today, if you don't know the message of the gospel, like one of the most encouraging things about what Marilyn's doing in translating the whole Bible into the wolf language is the fact that the message of the gospel doesn't just start with Jesus dying on a cross. The message of the gospel starts in Genesis where we read that God created everything just the way it ought to be. He thought it was good. It was very good. And then Genesis chapter 3, something takes a totally different direction. And sin enters into the world. And that sin has affected every single one of us. And we see from Genesis chapter 3 until the time of Jesus, over and over again, man trying to fix himself. Thinking we can do it. No, we can't. We got someone to rescue us. No, we don't. Over and over and over. Until Jesus comes. And then Jesus lived up to the standard that God expected. And he took our place on a cross that he did not deserve so that he could pay the price 
where the wrath of God was, was demonstrated upon Jesus to crucify him on a cross instead of me. And now he offers a new life. If we don't get Genesis, we miss the gospel. Because we go, well, I don't understand. I'm a good person. No, you're not. Here's the standard. And so the cool thing about Maryland translating the whole copy of the Word of God into that wool of language is now they'd be, okay, it makes sense now. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, I'd love for you to talk to the person that you came with, maybe somebody that you know. If you don't know anybody, I'd love to talk to you. Again, I'm not the most outgoing person in the world, but I'd, I'd love to talk about that. It's almost like talking about your grandkids, you know. Love to talk about that. Um, but I want you to know that there is a changed life that begins right here and right now. It doesn't start in eternity. Like we're not just looking for heaven and the streets of gold and all that kind of stuff. Like that's going to be cool. But he promises that right here and right now you can walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of God. And he'll help you do that. You don't have to get your stuff together. Acknowledge that you can't. And that he took your place on the cross and he promises a new life through what Jesus did on the cross. Love to help you more about that, know more about that. Um, but hopefully again this morning I want us to leave not discouraged, but encouraged to know I don't have to work on these things. I have to work on my relationship with him. And out of that relationship, he'll give you exactly what you need as you enter into a relationship with some of those friends out there that at the moment say they don't want to know anything about God, but maybe they don't know anything about God. And once they find out about him through you, maybe they'll say, man, that's what I've been missing out on all my life. Let's pray. God, thank you for this illustration of what it looks like to walk with you. We don't want to be Paul. We're not Paul. I can't be Paul. Nobody here can. But God, we do want to be used by you. And Father, I pray that you would help us to recognize that it's not about a program. It's not about a book to read. It's not about a seminar to go to. But that it is about you. God, may we fall so in love with you and all that you've done for us that we can't help but talk about you. God, I pray that you would use each one of us in our own unique way for your honor and for your glory. And Father, if there's someone here this morning that has never trusted Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sin and to give them a new life, I pray that maybe today would be the day that they would let somebody know. And Father, I pray that that would be the beginning of a wonderful relationship with you that would last through all of eternity. So God, thank you again for your word. I thank you for these folks. May you encourage them with it. And God, um, pray that you would use this this week somehow in some way in the life of someone. In Jesus' name, amen.